Okay, here we go, here we go. I love this. Have a, you should have a new handout on the, at the, in your hands. It says the 3rd of October. Thanks for sticking around. Here we go. Uh, anybody need one? Anybody need the one that's uh, it's a new one? Wayne, can you help right there? There's a couple. Raise your hand if you need one. It's better if you have one than if you don't. Okay. They're right straight back up on the right, Wayne. About four. Go four. There's a man or two. All right, raise your hand if you need one. It's uh, the one with the typo on the top. Okay, there we go. Sorry. It's a secret Hebrew spelling of sacred. Without the vowel. A little scary. You'd think I could run the spell checker by now, wouldn't you? All right, let's pray and let's go. Lord God, Heavenly Father, grant to us, we beg your Holy Spirit, that we may hear and accept your word in order that being cleansed in mind and renewed in life, we live only for you, now and forever, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Two more typos? Oh, you know, it was late and like that. No excuses are good excuses. If you're, I can't believe you bust me on Deuteronomy. It's Deuteronomy. It's like King Tut, okay? It's without King Tut. Okay, here we go. Yeah, there's a few typos. And, you know, you're, when, like, like, in, like in logic itself, when you make a mistake, it's multiplied when you put it in the copier. So, forgive me, Father, for I've sinned. Okay. So, Leviticus, but we're not quite there yet. And last week I made a pitch for you about holy things. And I remind you of Leviticus 19.2, where the Lord says, uh, I'm holy, you're holy. But the way that Hebrew verb reads, it can mean a couple of different things. It, on the face of it, it is correct. I'm holy, you're holy. I'm holy, you're holy. It's great stuff because he's actually stating the fact of the matter. I'm holy, says the Lord, and I think about you as holy. You're holy. Okay? And then, but it can also be interpreted as, uh, and keep being holy. And so you think, now what could that mean? It means he's going to provide a way that continues to make us holy. Of course, that's all what Leviticus is about. And then the warning, it can also be read as, you know, be careful, because when you're not holy, it's not going to go well between us. And I tried to speak to you last week about the dangerousness of holiness. It's almost lost in our culture. We don't know, we don't know what, what, what holiness is anymore. Uh, but, but the Lord has an idea about what it's about. He's going to try to teach us. So I did give you Leviticus. This is point one. In Leviticus 1.1, 1, 1, and it's not bad for you to find Leviticus since nobody can find it. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, third one in. The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, which is a remarkable thing. It means that the Lord is in a particular place where you can find him. And that is an amazing thing in itself. So if you're going to do anything about holiness... You need to do it somewhere. And that, of course, then goes to the idea of sacred space. And that's what I want to talk to you about, despite the typo there today. Okay? Now, here's a clue. The Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. 
75% of that, three quarters of the first five books of the Bible, uh, so I gave you kind of from Exodus 25 through Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 32, deals with what you do on the Sabbath day. But it's very specific. Space, time, worship, ritual, cultus, liturgy. You know, the Lord, this is one of the big problems in our life today. We don't understand that the Lord actually gives us the liturgy on Sunday. Now, it didn't drop down in the blue hymnal or the red hymnal, but it did, in fact, drop down. The Lord, it's the Lord's liturgy. He tells us what to do on Sunday, and if we're going to do something else, we need to be very, very careful that it stays within the bounds of holiness. If we could only think that way in our generation, in our world, much of uh, this contemporary uh, traditional worship thing would go away all by itself if we stayed within that rubric. Uh, that would solve about 90% of our problems. So the Lord gives us his holiness, and he begs us to live within us. You're holy, and this is going to be great. You're holy, and here's how, how, how we're going to play. You're holy because you belong to me and I've made you holy. So here we go. You know. First, I just want to talk then about sacred space, point two. All, everything that we do happens somewhere. You know, I've often said to you, when we get to sacred time, I'll say to you, you know, one of the challenges for us uh, being a pastor as a staff is every seven days we're going to have church. I mean, we don't have time to think about something for a month because you're going to show up. The Lord is going to be here. Sacred time. Well, in the same way, sacred space. This is going to happen somewhere. People are going to assemble together. So what is that going to look like? In paganism, uh, places are sacred by nature. People think to themselves, hmm, what sort of place would the Lord love? And normally, uh, or, or the alternate is, uh, what sort of places are just beyond our ken? So you regularly have, in pagan religion, they pick the really nice places, gardens, springs, or the really horrible places, volcanoes, for example, Mount St. Helens. Why do you worship that? Because you can't understand it. If we can't understand it and control it, it must be from the gods. Okay? So in nature, in pagan, I'm sorry, in paganism, and you can sort of read this through myths and, and read the history of religions, they choose places that are one beautiful or two fearsome. You know, one of those two things often. And they say, uh, that's what the Lord loves. But in this, in this thing, uh, those are last week's, so you need some more? Sorry, that's a cardinal sin. Uh, I'll make some more. I'm sorry about that. Um, if you have time, you know what, Bob, if you have, if you, I'll, I could talk fast enough that if you ran 25 more, that'd be okay. Uh, in paganism, places are sacred because we say they are. In scripture, places are sacred because God says they are. And I'm going to give you a couple of them here. In scripture, places are sacred by election. Can't be nature because nature's broken. You're broken and nature is broken. Romans 8, the, the world groans the way a woman groans when she's bearing a child. I mean, creation just is broken. It just doesn't work right. Your DNA is all mixed up. You know, you die. You, you get sick. You suffer. You know, the world falls apart. You know, nature is not sacred. Nature is broken. So the only way things are going to get better is if God chooses to make them better. 
And that, in fact, is what you have in the Pentateuch, in these five books of the Bible. It is the story of the Lord choosing to be here and make it better. That's what the Lord is trying to do. I give you a couple of examples for that. One is the Holy Land, Genesis 12. The Lord comes to uh, Abram in Ur, and he says, Ur is not the place for us. People here worship the moon. We're going to a different place. And for you women who are here on Friday, now tie this back to what we talked about as uh, the Holy Land being between the two great powers, between uh, Assyria and Egypt, and being trampled on every time there's a war. Strange place. Strange pick if you're picking a place to make holy. But the Lord says, not here, we're going somewhere else. So the Holy Land is holy not because there's something particularly cool about that, you know, parcel of land that is 50 by 150 miles. It's holy because the Holy Lord puts himself there. And that, you know, this is an aside, but would solve an awful lot. That understanding solves an awful lot of uh, the modern fundamentalist notion that uh, we need to get uh, Israel back so that the Lord can have his will. This is not true. Even the land finds its consummation in Christ. So that land, there's nothing special about it except that the Lord chose that land, holy space, the holy land. He said, this is where my people are going to live. And everybody says, okay. The next one, and this is the one we're going to talk about a little bit today, the tabernacle. The tabernacle is just another tent until the Lord descends. If you have your Bible open to Leviticus 1, you can just page back uh, one page to Exodus 40. Okay? And as you do that, let me remind you, you remember that chapters and verses were a late addition to the scriptures. Right? These books just sort of went one into the next one, so it's kind of a false in some ways, a false dichotomy between Exodus and Leviticus because it just keeps telling the story. Well, here's the story. Exodus 40, 34. The cloud covered the tent of meeting. Right? It's just another tent until the cloud comes down. Christ tangibly present. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Glory is the biblical word. You really need to tuck this away. Glory means Holiness from heaven that's come to earth. Okay? Things are holy in heaven. The Lord is holy. That's dangerous. Remember on Transfiguration, when Jesus uh, let the, the, they began to see Jesus without his mask. You know, without, they, they began to see Jesus in all his holiness, and it forced them face down. They couldn't stand it. Right? Holiness is dangerous. Holiness in disguise is called glory. That's the technical depth. That's what glory means. Glory means the holiness of God has come to earth in a way that it doesn't destroy you. Okay, that's what, so it's just a tent. It's just like any other space until the Lord puts himself there. So the cloud comes down. The glory of the Lord fills the tabernacle. And Moses wasn't even able to go in because the cloud abode upon it and the glory of the Lord filled. It's shocking, frankly. To see the Lord face to face. You, you know, people who have seen the Lord face to face are different. 
So that's, that's what happens. All the days the Lord was on the tabernacle, cloud by day, fire by night, the Lord is home, right? Jesus is in, right? Okay. So why is the Holy Land holy? Because the Lord puts his holiness there. Why is the tabernacle holy? Because the Lord puts his holiness there. Next one, why is the temple holy? You can go home and read about this today in 1 Kings 8 and 9. It's especially verse 9. Why is the temple holy? It's just another big building, you know, across, uh, you know, the pyramids are as grand. The Parthenon. It's just another big building, another big, brilliant building, until the Lord moves in. When the Lord puts himself there, then it's different. Okay? And then I just give you this for you to think about. I don't know if you've ever made this connection, but you're holy too. Why? Because the Lord has moved in. In 1 Corinthians 6, when it says, don't you know you're the temple of the Holy Spirit? What he's saying is, don't you know you're holy? Don't you know the Lord has moved in? You know, don't you know the Lord has filled you and taken up space? So in a way, and you need to hear this properly, there is no difference between the Holy Land, the tabernacle, the temple, and you. They're all holy things. Why? Because that is where the Lord has chosen to dwell. The Lord has chosen to dwell in you by virtue of your baptism. You know, 1 Kings 9, where the Lord puts himself by way of his name into the temple, is exactly what happens at baptism. The Lord puts himself by way of his name into the space that is being baptized. Why am I holy? Not because I'm a good boy, because the Lord has moved in. Okay? You got that? That's just a basic thing that needs to be, it's the Lord's choice. That's why we're holy. So space is redeemed whenever the Lord makes himself graciously present. And of course, then we sort of always have people who argue, well, you know, I can, I can worship on the golf course, which, you know, if you can get the 8-12 tea time at Cantini, it does in fact feel slightly like, uh, you know, this is a more holy place than other places. But, you know, the reality is, it's not, it's not God who's trapped here. God's everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know God's everywhere, right? I know that when I do this, I put my hand through God. I know that because God's everywhere. But it doesn't save me to do this. It saves me when the holy God puts holiness into me at the font, at the altar, in my ear. And besides that, he's bid you not to be playing golf at 812, but to be with the rest of the holy people. You're a holy community. Ecclesia, church, means an assembly that's set apart. You're not on your own. You're never on your own. You're part of the church, part of the assembly. That's why we tell you when you're in and we tell you when you're out. You don't get to join unless everybody else says okay. And you don't get to quit unless everybody else says okay. Hardly anybody knows that. We tell you when you're in. We tell you when you're out. Okay? <laughs> Because you're part of the assembly. Okay, and the, and, the, and the assembly needs a place to go. So this is the last thing on the first page. Holiness and glory are not abstract words in Scripture. The way people talk about, you know, things being holy or glorious 
They're not abstract. These are the most practical words they are. They're about relationships. They're about gifts. They're about divine engagement. Why is this place holy? Why are you holy? Because the Lord is here and he wants to play. And you can't say that about, you know, the 8th Fairway at Cantini. Unless you're playing with me. <laughs> and I am available. Okay? Flip your page over then. Um, we can't read everything about Exodus, or about the tabernacle in Exodus, but I do want to observe a couple things. We are going to go to a text here in a second. We're going to actually go to Exodus 35 and 30, 35 and 36 here in just a second. But I just want to observe the rigor with which the tabernacle is described. And now, I'm just, you know, I'll just, I'm putting all my cards on the table. You know, for the last couple of years, there's been quite a lot of talk about a new space. I don't know if we're going to have a new space or not. If we end up having a new space, you need to think about everything that's in here. Because I'll just tell you the punchline. The Lord doesn't build pole barns. Yeah, that's a punchline. The tabernacle is the nicest tent in town. And the temple is the nicest building in town. And your sanctuary is... I need to think that through. And let me just, as I say that, let me just give you another very important little addendum. You do not have to be the best. We don't have to have the biggest, brightest sanctuary in Wheaton. But you all do need to do your best. The same way you raise your kids. Your kids don't have to be the best. My kids don't have to be the best. You know, I don't care if my kids are C students, if that's the best that they can do. You don't need to be the best. One of the, one of the great heirs of living in a place like this is it's so competitive. Everybody's going to have the nicest car, the smartest kid, the biggest house. That has nothing to do with nothing. It's not about being the best. It's about doing your best. If you're Bedouins and you live in the desert and you make things out of goat hair, the way that you can make a goat hair tabernacle really nice is to weave in some strands of gold thread. Not to be the best. It's so important for us to stand this, because this is regularly misunderstood here. When I speak this way, I mean, I'm regularly misunderstood, so I want to kind of go on the record as being clear about this. You don't have to, you don't have to be the best, but you do, in fact, need to do your best for the Lord. Okay? And that's clear from the scriptures all the way through. So you can tell just from the name. I sort of collected a few. It talks about it as the house of God or the house of Yahweh, that holy covenantal name. Or sanctuary. There's a Hebrew word and then it comes into you know, Greek and Latin as well. Sanctus holy, the holy place. The place where God dwells or incarnates. And in your ear you should hear John 1, 14, the same word that is used for the tabernacle in the Old Testament is used of Jesus on Christmas in John 1, 14. And he took flesh and he tabernacled among us. It is the literal same word, right? This is just all the bells go off because it's the Old Testament place where the Lord dwelt is now found in the person of Jesus Christ. 
You're supposed to see that the tabernacle doesn't need to be there anymore because you've got Christ. Okay, so this, this place, this tent of meeting, this place where God dwells, I want to suggest to you that we've lost that. We just don't think that way anymore. It's sad and, you know, we need to do better. Let's start with ourselves and not complain about the world. We need to understand that this is sacred space and that everything we do here is meant to be holy. This is a space that is meant to contain the holy people of God and they're meant to deal with each other in holiness. What they say, what they think, what they do, Holiness is the watchword. Why? Because Yahweh is here and he's holy. And if you're not holy, you're running against him. In his own house, you're a bad guest. Okay. And of course, what the Lord bids is that you be a good guest, a holy guest, a forgiven guest. Loves you to death. Okay, this is the place where the Lord dwells on earth. And mercifully so. And his intent... He just doesn't need another condo. You know, the Lord owns, dwells in the cosmos, all of heaven and all on earth. He doesn't need another place to go. It's not like he needs a second home. That's not the point. The point is he's here in his holiness for you. This is great gospel stuff. I mean, if you can't find God, he's no good to you at all. If you can't find him, you might as well not have a God. So what does he do in condescension, in mercy to you and to me? What's he do? He says, let's pick a spot. He will chalk an X on the ground. And I'm going to be there every day. And once a week, it's going to be a great big deal. Okay, if you read the end of Exodus, the pillar of fire is there by night. The pillar of cloud is there by day. And it's there every day. But beyond that, and then there's daily, we're going to talk about the daily rituals in a little while, which then, you know, you might start to think about whether we should have service here every day, whether we should have daily prayer every day. And then there's, beyond that, the higher rituals of the Sabbath day. We need to talk about those too. Reflect on what we do here. Okay, he's here. This is, the, this is pure gospel. He's picked a space. He's here, and he's here for you, not against you. And you're meant to live within the foreness and not be against him or against each other. You know, the church cannot be a place where people can speak ill of each other. It cannot be a place where people act poorly toward each other. It cannot be a place where strangers aren't welcome. It cannot. It just cannot. That is anti-Yahweh. It is anti-Christ. In this space, of all the spaces in the world, holiness reigns. That's the point, you see. So when people walk into a space, and you know, partly we should lift up the joy of this space. You never see, for example, stained glass like this in other churches anymore. You, know? you walk into this place, what do people see? People see that the, that the ones who built this place, this holy place in the 50s, really cared. Because when they come in, they're absolutely dominated by what's happening in the glass. What do they feel? What do they sense? They sense that this place, this space, was really important to the generation who built it. You don't see that anymore, anywhere. Look around in newer churches, you don't see that. And if you see it, if it's not clear glass, it's just sort of colored. You don't get this sort of joyous artwork where Jesus, you know, has his hands open, welcoming you. Come on, y'all come. 
to a house that's even better than this one. We've got to rejoice in what they did here in 1950. We just have to rejoice in it. And somebody had figured it out, and that's a good thing. The materials, and I've just given you this mostly so you can have a look. The materials uh, are given in Exodus 24, and we're going to read in 35 in a second. And the Lord also gives the blueprint. And I'm just going to note this. Uh, again, you can go home and read it, but you'll notice that Hebrews 9 is consumed by that blueprint. And the reason it's important for you is that Christ is the tabernacle. It says it in John 1.14. It says it again in Hebrews 9. So Christ is the holy space. Uh, Christ, you know, you don't need a tabernacle anymore because you have Christ on the altar. See how important this is? How sacramental this is? You don't need, you want to know where Christ is? Christ is on that altar when his words come to bread and wine. Christ is in the water splashing around. Christ is in the words spoken from the lectern and from the pulpit. You know, they're raised because the word sort of cascades down on you like gift. You know? And the pastor stays in them because otherwise he could distract you. You know? The most important thing is that holiness gets splashed, put, smeared all over you. That's the point of being in a holy place. That you imbibe the holiness. I give you just uh, the basic stuff. The tabernacle uh, is 22 curtains held up by poles and beams and clasps. And if this went well, yes, you've got a picture. The second to last thing, okay? A little picture anyway. I'll try to give you these as we go. But the second to last thing is uh, a picture of the tabernacle. Right? So you've got these curtains that... Uh, are the best that they can do. You know, it's woven together, and uh, on the inside are these glorious curtains of blue and purple thread. We're going to read about that in just a second. And then around that, you've got these 11 black curtains of goat hair, and then you also have some skins, some leather, that protect from the elements, primarily from the sand. The sand, uh, and sand blown by the wind, was much more devastating than rain. You know, it didn't rain much at all, a couple inches a year. But that constant uh, wearing of the sand on the materials, you need to protect against that. It's why Jesus has so many parables, or I'm sorry, sorry, why Jesus has so many miracle stories where he's healing blind people. It's because there's so much wind in the Middle East blowing the sand that it gets into your eyes and it frankly makes you go blind. That's why blindness was such a common thing and why when Jesus can come and make you see again, when he can deliver his holiness so now your eyes are opened, not only physically, but also spiritually. Uh, I'm the guy. I'm the new holiness. I'm bigger than nature. Isn't this great? Okay. So that's all, all sort of anticipated by the tabernacle. Um... Let's, let's just open up a Bible because it's it's it must be a sin. If, if not, it's at least a slight to have a Bible study and not open the text. So open the text to Exodus 35, okay? This is, this is just such great stuff. Now, I just, although I will say to you, 
so that you don't, you know, partly you can walk away from a Bible class and you can say, well, the Israelites were great and we're bums. You know, it's easy to walk away, read the scriptures and say that. I just remind you that, you know, five pages to your left in Exodus 32, they had the golden calf going full blast. Okay, so I just, I just put that to you. Here's the Lord comes in Exodus 25, and he says, here's how we're going to do it. And then uh, seven chapters later, uh, there's that little golden calf interlude. interlude. Then the Lord sort of says, maybe you didn't understand. And then he runs through the whole thing again. So I'm not giving you just to, to, this to say, you know, they're great and you're not. I'm just giving it to you as this is the way the Lord does his business. So Mo, uh, Exodus 35, Moses assembled the congregation. See? Not private folk together, but they've got to gather someplace. Assembled all the congregation of the people of Israel and said, These are the things which the Lord has bid you to do. Work for six days, but on the seventh day have a Sabbath. Oh, look at this. And if you skip church, you get put to death. Deal with that another day, okay? <laughs> and you shall kindle no fire in all your habitations on the Sabbath day. We'll, we'll talk about those things in a, in a, little, in a little while. Another, another day we'll talk about those. Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, this is the thing which the Lord's commanded. This is 35.5. Take, take from among you an offering to the Lord. This is, this is the gospel tone of this. Who's ever got a generous heart, let him bring it to the Lord. And that's really it. You know, I knew a pastor who once gave one, uh, one sermon a year on stewardship, which frankly is a lot more than most pastors give. And uh, he used to say, if you, didn't have a, if you don't have a generous heart, don't give. That was the extent of his sermon. Every year he'd sort of say, if you can't do this happily, don't do it. Which is at least half the message, and it's good that it's said. But look, here it is. You know, if you've got a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's offering, gold, silver, bronze, blue and purple and scarlet stuff, and fine twilled linen. Now, if you go back at Exodus 25 and read the materials list, you can tell what they're going to do with all this stuff. They're going to they're going to use the linen to make the vestments that the priests wear. They're going to use the thread to sew the curtains and make the Holy of Holies. They're going to use the silver and the gold and the bronze for everything from those pottery barn uh, hangers for the curtains to uh, the Ark of the Covenant, right? Goat's hair and tanned ram skins and goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the lights, spices for the anointing oil. In Deuteronomy later, there is a recipe for incense be lit in the tabernacle and you're forbidden to light it any other place. You get punished if you do. You can't. It's a special mix. It's the house blend. See? <laughs> and you only can use it in the tabernacle. And if you use it anywhere else, if you use it anywhere else, that's forbidden. Why? Because the church is supposed to not only look in a particular way, it's supposed to smell a particular way. For me, and I don't know about you, it's beeswax candles. That's what I grew up with. When you were an acolyte, do you remember that smell? You put the candle out. It used to be that they were 100% beeswax. They're so expensive now, we're 51% beeswax. But sometimes I just stand there and smell the candle. That is the smell of church for me. Right? You remember that? That's what was supposed to happen here, too. There's a smell to the place. And you're not supposed to have that smell anyplace else. Why? So that when you come in, you know, ah, your nose tells you, this is the place the Lord is. And now he's here with me. And you remember, just as an aside, I'll give you two things with this. Isaiah 6, when, the Lord, when Isaiah is taken up to heaven, the place is filled with incense. You who have allergies, rejoice. You'll be cured. The incense will still be there. 
And then also, uh, in Revelation, uh, I think it's 5, 9, and 9, 5. It's in two weird things that are back and forth to each other. It talks about how the, your prayers on a Sunday morning make heaven smell good. Let my prayers rise before you as incense. Your prayers make heaven smell good. They're like, they're praying in Wheaton again. Isn't that cool? That's how the Revelation talks. It is so, it's, because it's part of the community. They can smell you in heaven. It's great stuff. Okay, for the incense and onyx stones, stones for setting, for the ephod and the breastplate. Um, let everyone who's able come and make all that the Lord has commanded. So first, you know, you give the stuff, and then you go to work. Make what the Lord's commanded. He doesn't say, make whatever you want. The Lord has commanded that it's made in a particular way. The tabernacle, the tent, the covering, the hooks, the frames, the bars, the pillars, the ark with its poles, the mercy seat. And I've given you a picture of that. You can kind of peer at that later. That's the, that's the point. It wasn't enough just to say that it was the tabernacle. No, it was the tabernacle in the center of the camp. And in the center of the, ta- ca- the, the camp was the Holy of Holies. And at the center of the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant. And on the center of the Ark of the Covenant, there the Lord will meet you. So that there could be no mistake that His holiness is going to come to you as if He's here and we missed Him. That's the reason you get splashed. When we start splashing water and it hits you and the kid balls, it's like, yeah, that's the one. We hit him. Right? <laughs> Same thing at the supper. You're, although you're there as community, you're dressed, addressed individually. The pastor holds the host and says, the body of Christ for you. Even though you're in the assembly, so that the location comes to you. It's just always this double thing of the assembly, but also the individual. The veil, the screen, the temples, the poles, the bread of the presence, the lampstands, the oil, on and on, the gratings, the bronze, the garments. Okay? Verse 20. Then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses, and they came, everyone whose heart stirred within him. And this is just real, honestly, just basic pastoral practice. I'm not going anywhere without you. I mean, we're going to go as far as your hearts are stirred. That's how far we're going. We're not going any farther. It's not by way of force. And everyone whose spirit moved him and brought the Lord's offering to be used for the tent of meeting, for all its service, and for the holy garments. Look, the LWML's there. So they came, both men and women, who were of a willing heart. They brought their brooches and their earrings and their signet rings and their armlets and all sorts of gold every man dedicating an offering to the Lord, every man and woman, uh, every man with whom was found blue or purple or scarlet stuff, fine linen, goat's hair, tan skins, goat skins brought them. Everyone who could make an offering of silver or bronze brought it to the Lord's offering. Do you notice how there's not a favoritism of the, the rich over the poor? It's important to do your best, not be the best. It's important to manage what you got, not to have the most stuff to manage. So careful about this. If you got them, smoke them, you know. If you got it, bring it along. If you don't got it, you don't got it. He didn't give it to you, and it's okay. Every man with whom was found acacia wood, who worked it, who brought it, the women had the ability to spin with their hands. They brought what they had, and they spun it. Blue, purple, scarlet, fine linen. All the women whose hearts were moved 
with an ability. You see how often they say that? So often and how important it is that people actually want to do it. You know, the worst possible thing in the church is force. You know this in your own lives. You know this with your families. Nothing good ever happens by force. And the leaders brought onyx, stones, and spices. All the men and the women of Israel were moved. And, uh, I'm, you know, we're kind of getting short on time, so I'm going to press you to the next part. Look at 36, the end of verse 3. Exodus 36, the end. They still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning. So every morning, people are, are showing up. I, you know, I, I tell you, you know, one of the joys that I have that you don't have is I get the statistics on the capital campaign. And uh, fairly regularly, I get the number. In a little while, the number's going to be a million bucks, which is really just phenomenal. I mean, I just, you know, it really is a remarkable thing that you all, uh, in addition, now we, you know, we didn't do as well last year as we might have, but it's interesting, giving in the plate here is up over last year, and in addition to that, you all have given about a million dollars. We're going to let you know when it happens. It's kind of fun to be here in the morning and see the numbers come in. It's just, it's just a nice thing. It's very encouraging. It's just a nice, nice thing. So every morning they bring it so that all the able men who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came, each from the task that what he was doing, and said to Moses, the people bring much more than is enough for doing the work of the Lord that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses had to send out a mailing. That's in verse 6. And the word was proclaimed throughout the camp, let neither man nor woman do anything more for the offering for the sanctuary. So this is, okay, stop bringing stuff now. Do something else. Play cards. Goof around with your friends. So the people were restrained from bringing, for the stuff they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. Which is, you know, of course, what you're always aiming at in the congregation. That's the joy you're looking for. So um, I, I'm at point four here. So what about you all? Well, uh, the church is where the Lord gathers his people and gives out his gifts. I, I'm well aware that the church is not a building. That's kind of an old saw that is, you know, almost too trite to say. I know that the, I know that the church is people, and I know the church is, more importantly, the church is not a building. The church is wherever the Lord gathers his people to give out his gifts. But the point is, he gathers people somewhere. In some space, he gathers them. You know, and, and I give you the third point there. Worship betrays itself. This is my, you know, the little Latin bit last week. Lex orandi, lex credendi. What you do on Sunday morning tells people what you believe. It's okay to start in a home. It's okay to start in a storefront. It's okay to start in a Target store. It's okay. But if you have means to do better, then you should do better. It's important to do your best. And it's important to teach and learn and help and create a space that glorifies the Lord. See, so now you've got to think. You've got to think about what is it that would glorify the Lord in a particular space. That's what they did here. The Lord tells them, you know what will glorify? You know what will remind you? You know what will make it most clear to you? In the very center of your camp is the nicest place in town, and it's mine. But you're invited. Every day, and for a big blowout on the weekends. Sounds like college. And so, you know, in the center is the nicest place, and in the center of that 
is a serious but wonderful place, and in the center of that is the place where I sit between the angels on the lid of the Ark of the Covenant, and you can find me there. I'll be there for you. That is great stuff. That's what you're trying to um, create. And I give you then point five, which is, you know, why have a sacred space? Everything matters because everything teaches. Here's the reason it's better to have stained glass than not to have stained glass. Because there are some people who don't read. And there are some people who are deaf to the tone of my voice. And there are some people who are visual. That's how they learn best. So it's important for those people to be fed the gospel through their eyes. Other people could care less about stained glass. For some people, it's all about the music. For some people, it's all in the ear. And maybe not the spoken word, but again, you know, what's sung or played. So it's important to be able to put it in people's ears. For some people, it is only the spoken word. They could care less about the music. They could care less about the artwork. See, as an assembly then, you need to build a place that cares pastorally for all the different kind of people who come. So first, yes, everybody is welcomed in holiness, but then second is the very practical pastoral question. What sort of space, sacred space, does the best for the people who are gathered here? And the answer is, we learn in all kinds of ways, so we need to engage all those ways. It's Timothy in the epistle for today. Teach people. Well, how do you teach people? It actually matters whether or not the pastor's shoes are shined. It actually matters. It ma we have the best altar guild there ever. I haven't thought about the altar guild, except to say thanks, in probably five years. I know that every time I walk back there, it will be absolutely perfect. I never even think about it. I know that every day when I walk back there, it's going to be perfect. It's the great. You want to create that atmosphere in every place here, okay, which is why we've got to think, we've got to talk, we've got to decide, you know, we need, to, we need to do something. What would that something be? There could be ten more services in this space, or it could be a big space with one service. You all need to think that through now. I mean, we've sort of been around the edges of it for two or three years. We need to do it now. The clock is ticking, okay, but as we do it, Everything matters because everything teaches. And I tried to give you, you know, the setup for this was last year, Philippians 1, 9, and 10, when I spent pretty much the whole year talking about what best means in the Bible. I mean, the Bible does say do your best. It's, 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 first, I mean, it's Philippians 1, 9, and 10. Do your best, and you can sort out best by selfless love, agape, rigorous obedience, and deep spiritual insight, deep spiritual maturity. So now you've got those touchstones. Now you've got to put it to work in this space, whether it's this space or another space. Um, we've got to go, but the last thing is, is blessing of the animals. Should we be doing that? Or the organ. What are you doing blessing the organ? Or, well, you know, one of these days we're going to have new, uh, new altarware because our stuff is, uh, you know, just, we've just about worn it through. So there'll be a point where we'll bless, or the Paul, we bless that. And we've got to talk about blessing things, and that goes with sacred space. So, you know what? Read 
toward next week, just read a little bit in Leviticus, a little bit at a time. You can only take about so much, but we got to talk about why that all makes sense. Let's pray and let's go. Thank you so much. I'm sorry to be short about the copies. I will get some more, okay? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you.